Go ahead and find Romans chapter 7 in your Bibles, Romans chapter 7. Today we are going to explore the idea of believers in Christ being captive and wretched, two commonly misunderstood ideas, but not just being captive and wretched, also being delivered by Jesus. We love that, right? This is an opportunity to to relish uh, God's gospel goodness in Romans 7. And we're going to see some some God-given truths. We're going to see some spirit-led pursuits that protect and equip God's children for God's service. Uh, We're looking at the battle with sin within, part two today. And before I have you stand to read God's word, I want to tell you a little story, kind of some background, but also something that speaks into where we're going today. So the other day I was hiking in Santiago Oaks Regional Park with my brother-in-law. He was in from Tennessee and... His name is Michael as well, and we're, we're hiking, and he notices something that I had completely missed, and if, if you're familiar with Santiago Oaks, there's a big fire in the fall, a lot of the trees got burned, and here's what he noticed. He noticed that the, the eucalyptus trees were standing very tall and stately and strong amidst a lot of trees that had gotten burned down, and... Uh, they, they hadn't been destroyed by the fire. And I'm in there like every day, I did not notice this. I had not noticed. And I'm, he points it out, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, I can't believe I missed this. And so it got us to thinking, like, how did the eucalyptus trees survive the fire when the others didn't? And so before I Googled it, because I got the answer, we also got part of the answer at the foot of every tree. So at the foot of every tree, there, is, there was this, this pile of thick bark around the base of the tree. And, and so the bark had been scorched on the outside, but it was thick, and it didn't penetrate the outer layer, and so the, the firefighters and the cleanup crews had basically scraped off the bark, and the tree was like perfectly fine. And the, the reason why it happened, the reason why these trees didn't get, you know, uh, totally burned down, is because there are some eucalyptus species, the ones at Santiago, that have this very thick fibrous bark that really serves as a protection, as a, as a heat shield, if you will, allowing the trees to survive the fires. And it got me to thinking about this passage today in Romans 7, and we're looking at verses 14 to 25, but primarily verses 21 to 25. And, and this passage tells us you know, Christ delivers wretched sinners. Tells us that very clearly. But it also tells us very clearly that we battle sin until Jesus comes back or we go to him, whichever comes first. And the question that that comes into my mind is, so how are we protected in the spiritual realm? And and what is that thick layer of spiritual bark uh, for us? And, and, And that even that warrior's mentality as we battle sin within, the the fire of sin within, and not be consumed. So we're going to see that today, really, what the answer is to that. So if you're able, I want you to stand with me and take your Bibles. I'm going to read Romans 7, uh, 14 through 25. I always like to remind us that this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. I'm going to read God. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit uses it in our lives. So Romans 7, beginning at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, 
sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your presence, we thank you that you are here and that you want to use your word in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you would have your way with us today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So the battle with sin within, we're, we're looking at this idea of believers both being captive and wretched, but also delivered by Jesus, delivered by Jesus. And Romans 7 is all about a believer's battle with sin. Romans 7 has taught us that we are united with Christ to bear fruit for him, but we battle indwelling sin on the way to guaranteed victory, and we see that the reason is that we would trust in Christ, that we would not trust in our own efforts, but in Christ. We are free in Christ to do what is right. The conflict, though, with sin remains, and so we must trust in Christ. Context for chapter 7 is Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 that speak of the progressive sanctification of those justified in Christ. Paul is telling a group of first century Roman Christians, here's what it's really like to follow Christ. Here is what it is like to, to be a believer and to follow Christ. This is reality. He's being very honest. And he's saying how positionally you can be a new creature in Christ who is being progressively sanctified, progressively changed, but having an ongoing war with sin going on at the same time. This is the heart cry of a humble Christian, and there are four confessional complaints in this passage. We looked at the first two last week. The first one was in verses 14 to 17, Paul says, I do what I hate. I do what I hate. Verses 18 to 20, we see the second one. I can't do the good I want to do. I can't do the good I want to do. I do what I hate, and I can't do the good I want to do. And so today we're going to look at the next two. In verses 21 to 23, we'll see him saying, I am captive. And in verse 24, he's going to say, I am wretched. 
But then you get to verse 25, and you got this, you know, beautiful burst of praise. It's, it's awesome. You know, we, we get to open the word of God, and we get to enjoy the Lord. We get to worship God and, and go through a, a tough passage of scripture, but it gets us to verse 25, where he just says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. And so there's this beautiful burst of praise in verse 25. We'll look at that. And really what he's saying there is Jesus delivers. Jesus delivers. And so, again, we looked at those first two confessional complaints last week. I do not do do the the good I want. I can't even do it. I, I do what I hate. And that calls for confession on our part. It calls for us to confess our sinfulness, but also our specific sins. And this Paul is, is leading the way in this for us, but it also encourages us to allow others to speak the truth to us. Like how many people have we allowed into our life where they can actually speak the truth about us to us? But the rest we're looking at today, I am captive, I am wretched, Jesus delivers. Okay, I am captive, I am wretched, Jesus delivers. So let's look at verses 21 to 23 where Paul says, I am captive which sounds kind of weird to believers who've just read in Romans 6 that we are free from sin. We are no longer slaves of sin. We're actually slaves of God. So how can we be captive? Verse 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He's talking about a law now, different than when he's talking about the law, the capital L law, the law of God. He's talking just about a spiritual principle here that evil is crouching like a lion. And so he can't keep sin at arm's length. It's literally right there. It, it's, it's, it's at hand. But at the same time, he says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God. I, I love God's word. I, 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 I love the law of God in my inner being. Well, that's an honest assessment from a believer. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, trusted in his finished work. You know he died on the cross for your sins in your place. He died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, coming back with blessing for believers and judgment on unbelievers. And you know that, you believe, you're not trusting in your own works. You're able to say, I delight in the law of God because your new self no longer sides with sin. You're not voting for sin anymore. You're not saying, wow, sin is good. You're saying sin is bad. And you joyfully agree with God's law against sin. You say, God is right. Everything he says is right and true. And I want it to be true in my life. And I want to do what he says. This is what Paul is saying. This is like the psalmist in Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. You're thinking about it. You're mulling it over. You're thinking about the word of God. You're thinking about pleasing God. You're planning out how you can actually Do what God says. You want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And this is good news that Paul would say things like this and that we could could say the same things. That we realize that sin lies at hand and we're in this battle, but inwardly we really love God and we love his word. See, the unregenerate, the unbeliever cannot say, I delight in the law of God. They hate the law of God. And by nature, all people are children of wrath. They are alienated from the life of God. This was like Paul before he became a believer, when he was known as Saul. He, he had a hand in killing Stephen 
the guy who was preaching the gospel, and, and he actually thought he should. He thought he was right. He was not seeking God's will. He wasn't seeking holiness like Romans 7 Paul does. Okay, Romans 7 Paul is a transformed man. So he delights in the law of God in the midst of the, of the raging war, and this is something we need to latch on to. Delighting in God and his word doesn't mean you, you don't struggle with the waging war and the raging battle. He says in verse 23, I see in my members another law waging war, taking the battlefield against me, making a military expedition spiritually against me, opposing me, warring against the law of my mind. His reflective intelligence, making him captive. Captive literally means to capture with a spear, to, to take a prisoner of war. Paul is saying, I'm not a slave to sin anymore, but I'm a POW. I'm a prisoner of war. I, I get subdued. It says that it makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's talking about another law. A spiritual principle corresponding to the principle in verse 21. And it operates in the members of his body, his unglorified sinful humanness, and it's waging war against his desire to obey God and his word. The law of his mind, the, the new creation, wants to obey God's law, and there is this battle going on, and so Paul can honestly say, I am captive. I'm not in slavery to sin. We, we read this in Romans 6. You're not a slave to sin anymore if you're in Christ. You don't have to sin. You are a slave of God. You can actually choose not to sin at any given moment in the power of the Spirit. But he says, I am a, I'm a POW. I'm a prisoner of this war. And I haven't yet been fully rescued. There is this internal spiritual warfare going on, and we must acknowledge it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Paul is in a war. He is an unwilling captive to evil desires of the heart, and he's using very strong words. He's using very strong words, for very strong corrupt tendencies that reside in human beings and reside in people who are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians. And they're words that we must admit refer to us. They're painful words. They're, they're talking about the dangerous conflict of, that's contending against our proneness to evil. This propensity to sin inherited from Adam. He's talking about the members of his body as the center of passions and desires. And he is using present tenses in verse 23 that tells us this is a habitual struggle. This is not a one-time thing that happens or a storm that just kind of brews up. This is a habitual struggle. War is being waged and sin is lurking. And he admits he's battling the desires of the flesh. The Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit is using to write these words is battling the desires of the flesh. Do you realize he's not pointing the finger at anyone? He says, I am captive. Believers in Christ, they want to please God 
but we know we choose sin sometimes. We want to please God. We have this desire to please God, but then we go and we, we choose sin instead, and we get the agony of defeat to sin. And sometimes we even, looks like we're going back to a slavery that isn't ours anymore. During the Civil War, President Lincoln declared the slaves legally free, right? But they weren't all actually freed yet. They didn't even get the news for, you know, days or weeks on end. It wasn't instant news days. This was like, it's going to take a while for, for the news of the emancipation of slaves to actually trickle through all the towns and villages. And even then, some people were like, oh, we're not going to play by those rules. In Christ, we are free, but until this life is over, the struggle won't be over. Our, our, our freedom has been secured. Our, our freedom, but our, our choices matter. Our, our daily choices matter. If you're a Christian, your, your freedom in Christ is is secure, but your choices matter. Whether you will go back to a slavery to sin, whether you will continue to engage in what I called last week signature sins that are uh, unique to you and your life, or if you will fight it by the Spirit of God, as Paul is, is laying out for us, a victory over sin by the power of the Spirit. And, and we're going to see this in Romans 8. But you have to make the point first here in Romans 7. The battle is going on. He is not a slave, but he is a POW being rescued. In, in process of being rescued. He's being very honest about what it means to live in Christ in a realistic way. I think it's why in 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I, I discipline my body and make it my slave. I, I, I buffet my body, I beat up my body, and I keep it under control. So move on to verse 24. You know, Paul has said, I do what I hate. I can't do the good I want to do. I am captive. And then in verse 24, he says, I am wretched. Very well-known Verse, right? He says, I am wretched. It's this agonizing cry. Wretched man that I am. Verse 24. And it gets quoted so often. This verse gets quoted so often and it is so misunderstood. Many mistake wretched for depraved. Like, like well, I'm wretched. That means I'm really sinful. The problem is Paul already said that. He already told us how sinful he is, and he's not just saying it again. What he's doing is he's saying something that relates to being really sinful. He's talking about the effects of sin upon your soul and upon his soul. He's saying something different than just, hey, look how sinful I am. He's already made that point. Wretched means I'm suffering. It's literally a callus. I've got a, a callus built up. I, I, I'm afflicted. I'm miserable. I'm in distress. It was used in pagan Greek drama to express tragic misfortune. Something really bad happened, and, and here's the result. He's saying, I'm wretched. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. The effects of depravity have worn out my soul. It's the state of your soul from the misery sin brings, which makes you miserable, distressed, and downcast, and dispirited, and 
You're miserable due to battling sin. He says, I'm a wretched man. He's frustrated. He's, he's grieving. He's, he's lamenting his sin. Jesus talked about the kind of person that laments their sin. He says in Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. And he's not talking about just people who cry a lot. He's talking about those who mourn over their sinfulness and over the effects of sin. See, a believer knows their own sinfulness in proportion to God's holiness, in proportion to the perfection of his word. And here's how one writer put it. The more mature your discipleship, the clearer your perception of that to which God calls you. And the more painfully sharp your consciousness of the distance between what you want to be and what you are. This is what Paul is expressing. Paul knows he is in a state of despair because he cannot rid himself of his bent towards sinning. Same one we have. Now, an unbeliever doesn't even realize it. But a believer knows, I am wretched. It's the heart-rending cry from the depths of a heart that feels the effects of sin and the misery and the inability that, that comes their way. Now, the unregenerate person, the unbeliever, cannot say, wretched man that I am. The unbeliever does not say, wretched man that I am. They don't think they're wretched. I didn't think I was wretched before I was a believer. I thought I was better than all of you. An unbeliever is unaware of their true condition. They're not going to confess that I am wretched. Paul, on the other hand, came to the end of himself. But it wasn't a one-time thing that happened up at a camp. And he said, wow, you know, well, when, when God knocked him off his high horse in Acts 9, it wasn't like, oh, God humbled me once. I got the message. This was him continually coming to the end of himself. This is what happens over and over again in the Christian life. If you're really a believer, this is what's going to happen in your life. And you're going to have to realize that you're going to notice how, how miserable you are because of sin on an ongoing basis. While you're praising the glories of God's grace in Christ, while you're rejoicing in Christ, you're still going to know that, that you have to look outside of yourself for help. This is what Paul is doing. He's looking outside of himself for help. And it happens over and over again. He says, who will deliver me? Again, not a one-time thing he's talking about. Who will deliver me? So think about your life for a moment. Think about this. If you never get to the end of yourself and you say you're a Christian, how are you trusting Christ? If you never get to the end of yourself and you're a professing Christian, how are you trusting Christ? Full surrender is necessary and it's a surrender that kind of happens over and over again as God makes us aware over and over again how much we need to trust Christ. A Christian knows their weakness and longs to be delivered. Paul said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who is going to do it? Now he knows the answer, right? He knows the answer. But he says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? The body in which the death of this indwelling sin is located. Ironside put it this way, it's very graphic. He says, Paul is like a, a living man chained to a polluted, corrupt corpse. Can you imagine? 
being chained to a dead body. And he's unable to snap the chains. He's, he's chained up to a polluted, corrupt corpse and unable to snap the chains. And he cannot make the corpse clean or the corpse obey no matter how hard he tries. Paul may be referring to a tradition of an ancient tribe near Tarsus that would do this. They would literally do this. They would tie the corpse of a murder victim to the murderer. So, so you murder someone back then, you get the person you murdered tied to you, and they would allow the spreading decay to slowly infect and kill the murderer. There's a death sentence for you. Paul is, is crying out, I am wretched because I'm at the end of my human resources and God continually brings me back there so I will know I need to trust in Jesus, not myself. He says, I'm, I'm miserable. I, I'm miserable due to battling sin. So if you're going through that as a believer, all I can say is welcome to the club it's a very select club. I do what I hate. I can't do the good I want to do. I am captive. I am wretched. But I love verse 25. I love the fact that here's Paul laying it all out, and he just says, well, time out for a moment. Let's just celebrate for a moment. Verse 25. Look at verse 25, put your eyes on that. Now you've got a beautiful burst of praise from the Apostle Paul because he knows it's true. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's an exclamation of praise and he's saying, Jesus delivers. Jesus delivers. Who's going to deliver me? Verse 24, that's a future tense. Who's going to deliver me? Deliver means to rescue from danger. Who's going to rescue me from danger? It was used of soldiers that would drag their injured comrades off the battlefield, out of the way of further harm. It's, it's answering the cry of a soldier to be rescued from the enemy. Paul says, who is going to rescue me? I'm captive. My condition is wretched. I'm exhausted from the battle. I must trust Christ. I must trust Christ. He knows that full rescue will be complete one day. Romans 8.23 tells us. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the anchor of Paul's cry. Next week we're going to get into chapter 8 and we're going to see that there is now no condemnation for us because of our future deliverance from death. So future deliverance spells present victory. But here's what happens. We go out these doors, 
You know, we're all dressed up on Sunday. We look our best. But we know how we live. And we go out those doors and we choose unwisely and we get stung by sin. And then we continue to choose unwisely and, and we get desensitized to our sin. We get hardened to it or, or we choose wisely and get proud of it. And then we sin. Whoa, look how great I'm doing in my life right now. I'm obeying God all the time. Those other people aren't. And, and, you, and you, you sin through pride. And Paul is pointing out to us, this is the only way, the only way to victory comes through trusting Jesus. There is no other way to the victory. And so he says this, this final sentence of the chapter in a concluding statement, so then... He's praising God, and he says, so then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve uh, the law of sin. He, so he's, he's saying, this is my struggle. This is my struggle between the mind and the flesh. The struggle for, for this was going to keep on going until the resurrection of the body. This is sobering. This wasn't the news we wanted to hear. We wanted to hear that we were free from it and won't be harassed any longer. But Paul says, this is my reality until I get my new body. So if you're a Christian today, this is your reality until you get your new body. Now remember this, we are not helpless under the power of sin. We have been freed from its dominion. Remember Romans 7 is sandwiched between Romans chapter 6 and 8. But you will be frustrated from your failure to obey God. You will long for the day. Over and over and over again, you will long for the day when you will be fully redeemed and complete and glorified. But until that day, you can actually say, thanks be to God. And there's a reason, because when you see that phrase, thanks be to God, and Paul has said it before in Romans, and I pointed it out, but I want to point it out again. When he says, thanks be to God, he is saying something specific about God. What he is doing is he's about to point out something God has done, okay? He's pointing out something God has done that is significant. So he's saying, thanks be to God for doing something significant on my behalf. And I love how he, he brings us into it. He's been saying, I, 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 all the way. He's pointing his fingers at himself. But when he praises God, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Did you catch this? Our Lord. Our Lord, now he's talking to the church. Now he's talking to the people of God. Thanks be to God for doing something significant. See, God did something significant for you to be delivered from the penalty of sin in justification. As we look in Romans 3 and 4 and 5. He must do something significant in you if you're going to be delivered in this life in sanctification. He must do something for you and in you, at the resurrection, the ultimate deliverance from sin, glorification. And it's like Paul's like wrapping it up just very briefly here and saying, Jesus has done it. Jesus is doing it, and he will do it. He is convinced that Jesus will rescue him at his return. He is convinced of it, and he knows he, he won't be fully rescued yet. He's like saying, look, I'm already rescued positionally, but not yet, conditionally. 
and he's summarizing the two parts of the struggle, and he's just leaving them in, in, in beautiful tension. And, and what it reminds us is this. We are as dependent on Christ's work in our deliverance as we are on Christ's work for our forgiveness. Your ongoing deliverance, you are just as dependent on him. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. So you're not just dependent on him for salvation, for initial justification. You are dependent on him for all of your sanctification and your future glorification. And sin's power has been broken over the believer's life because of the cross. We're delivered because of the cross. So he says, I'm captive. I'm wretched. Jesus delivers. Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, according to Romans 7, 14 to 25, we are, we are captive. We, we can't escape the spiritual battle while earthbound. You can't airlift out of it. And we are wretched. We are, we are righteous in Christ, but we are still sinful. And so we are distressed and downcast by the effects of sin. But Jesus, get this, Jesus delivered us in, in the past from sin's power and penalty, and he delivers us in the present from sin's pervasive influence and harassment, and he will yet deliver us in the future from sin's presence. This is our hope. But until then, until then, you have to deal with that question, how am I protected in the spiritual realm? Now you know from 1 Peter 1 that all that God has caused to be born again to a living hope, he protects by his power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We know that. But what comprises that outer, outer layer of bark for us? Okay? How do we develop even a, a warrior's mentality when it comes to battling the fire of sin within and not be consumed? What, what's required of us? You know, we come to faith in Christ and, and God delivers us from the overall, overall power and penalty of sin. Christ delivers us from certain sins, specific sins that really messed us up. And he will deliver us fully in the future, but he didn't make you sinless. He didn't make you sinless. He gave you a new identity. And then he gave you weapons of warfare he gave you a new ability to say no to sin because of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and empowering you. But how do you battle sin within without giving in all the time? What God-given truths, what, what spirit-led pursuits protect and equip God's children for God's service? Well, here's how you battle the sin within. Here's how you battle it. And I'm just gonna go briefly on it today because I'm going to actually get into it more as we get into Romans 8. You're gonna notice that what I'm gonna say next uh, really plays into all of sanctification, okay? But here's how you battle sin within. You put on God's armor. You put on God's armor, okay? The armor of God. So go over to Ephesians chapter six, which is 10 through 20. The armor of God that Paul tells the Ephesians to put on, okay? The armor comes with the blood-bought life. And so you say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who gave us this armor, now, if you look at Ephesians 6, what you'll notice is that he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, okay? That's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
So be strong in Jesus and in the strength of Christ's might. And then he says, and put on the full armor of God. So there's something that a believer is to do actively. Okay? So put on literally means to clothe yourselves with. Uh, full armor, complete armor. In, in those days, to put on armor was a splendid display. In fact, one translator uh, just said, put on the splendid armor of God. Okay, but it's the armor of God. Uh, that means that God is the origin of the armor. That means that God provides the armor. And it says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And to stand means to watch the post, to, to stand at a critical position on the battlefield. Every Christian is in a different spot on the battlefield. And it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. And we're struggling. That's what he's talking about, this struggle, this battle. It's, it's, it's wrestling. Okay? Wrestling is a, is a fight characterized by, by strategy and trickery. Okay? And, and he says, take up the whole armor of God. And he says it again, that you could stand firm in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. But taking up, that's a military technical term describing the last preparation, the final step necessary before the actual battle begins. Well, it calls for immediate action. So this is something that every believer needs to be aware of every day. And let's just run through the pieces of the armor, shall we? First, there's a belt, okay, the belt of truth. Now, I wore a belt today, but it's largely uh, decoration, okay? If I took the belt off, my, my pants would stay up, okay? Um, here, he says, fasten on the belt of truth, like gird it around yourself. Now, Ro Roman soldiers wore one of three wide belts, and they were actually holding things together. Uh, there was a big leather apron kind of belt to protect the lower stomach. There was the sword belt uh, to buckle on the sword. Uh, there's a special belt if you were a, a, an officer or high official. But he says, put on the belt of truth that holds it all together. And here's him telling truth. I'm captive, I'm wretched. Jesus delivers. Um, he's not pointing the finger on anyone. Right? Uh, Tim Keller says this about this passage, uh, a twofold warning. He says, first of all, no one ever gets so advanced in the Christian life that they no longer see their sin. And secondly, no one gets so advanced that they don't struggle with sin. So you should expect a fight with your sin nature. He says a wounded bear is more dangerous than a healthy bear, and our sinful nature may get more stirred up and active because the new birth mortally wounded it. But here's where you should be comforted. If you're a believer and you are struggling with sin and you fall in sin, here's what you're going to think. If you're a believer, man, I must be the most horrible Christian. I must be so wicked. I must even be so immature to still wrestle with that sin. And what Romans 7 is telling us is, is that temptation and conflict with sin is consistent with being a growing Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't care about your sin. You are struggling with it, and you don't want to commit it. And as you grow in Christ, you will stop doing certain sins. You will see victory over certain sins. But when you fall in sin, you have to realize that the tender-hearted Christian has the Spirit of God 
leading you, keeping leading you to repentance over and over again, and then you keep trusting Christ over and over again. There is the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, That usually was a piece of metal that would protect the body between the soldiers and the lower extremities. And and the idea is uh, righteousness in Christ, okay? Declared righteousness is yours that has been declared by God, but it doesn't mean you're free from sin's influence anymore. You are free to choose not to sin in the power of the Spirit. And this becomes very personal. We say often, don't be so self-centered, right? Here is where you should be very self-focused. This is where you should be self-focused. You need to examine your heart uh, internally. Ask the question, where's my base camp of operations? Is it in the reality of my adoption in Christ and I fight the battles with sin? Or is it in the world and sin and I just you know, venture into God's space on Sunday? Externally, where's your base camp of support? Is there a local assembly of believers you are linked up with, or is it just whatever happens with the world, the flesh, and the devil? That's quicksand, right? That's quicksand. There's the shoes of the gospel. Shoes of the gospel, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we are... We are POWs in this battle. We are captive to sin, indwelling sin, but we're finding freedom in Christ, but we know positionally we are captive to Christ. I love how Ephesians 4.8 talks about Christ uh, leading captive a host of captives. Uh, The triumphal procession of POWs marching in led captivity captive uh, through his crucifixion, through his resurrection. Christ conquered Satan, conquered death, in triumph, returned to God, those who were prisoners of Satan. But it reminds me of a place in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul is talking about the struggles and the, the troubles of ministry, and, and it seems like all of a sudden he does a hard left turn, kind of like he does here in Romans 7, where he's talking about the struggle, and he says, wait, let's praise God for a minute. Let's remind ourselves. And here, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 2, 14, thanks be to God. But thanks be to God, who leads us in triumph in Christ and diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge everywhere we go. And so Paul uh, focuses on the privileges of his position in Christ. uh, And he regains the joyful perspective. You put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, what it means is you will be savoring the gospel in your own heart and you'll be sharing the gospel with others And what the gospel does for your soul, what rehearsing what Jesus has done, it it regains your joy, it gives you back your joyful perspective. It says that he leads us in triumph in Christ. Imagine uh, the the Roman ceremony called the triumph when, when the victorious general is honored with a parade through the streets of Rome. Paul is thanking God for for being led by a sovereign God continually and the promised victory he has in Christ. It says that he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. As you have the, 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 the shoes of the gospel, you're using them. Paul is grateful to be used as an influence for, for Christ wherever he went. Uh, the picture he has of that diffusing, that aroma, is not essential oils. But what it was was a sweet, strong smell of incense 
from the censers in the triumph parade, but also added into that was the, the, the fragrance of crushed flowers that were being thrown under the horse's hooves, and all of that would produce a powerful aroma that filled the city. And Paul is saying, uh, the gospel that I savor, uh, the gospel that I share, um, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's a fragrance, and every believer is called by God to be a gospel influence. Talk about the shield of faith. Talk about the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with, that, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Shields in those days were these door-shaped, big leather shields, thick, and they would soak them in water so the, the flaming arrows that were coming at them would be extinguished. The idea for a Christian is believe what God has said. Walk by faith, not by sight. The war has been won, but you are still in the battle. And then the helmet of salvation, uh, Ephesians 6, 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Roman soldiers wore this big bronze helmet and nothing but an ax or a hammer could pierce it. It was, it was thick, it was strong. And you think about how you need to know if you're saved or not. How you need to know if you have salvation or not and how you have assurance from God if you are saved how he causes his chosen ones to be spiritually alive, and then he gives them an imperishable, irrevocable inheritance. And all the while you're saying, I live daily in the realm of perishable things, where bodies waste away and marriages crumble and relationships drift away, but I know in Christ, eternal life never fades away. And, and when you know that you have indwelling sin, it frightens you. But when you know you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, it comforts you. And God will ensure that every true believer will endure and persevere and be proven genuine. And then you come to the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And that sword word, that's a Greek word for uh, a, a small dagger, it's makaira. It's not romphi, which is this huge sword. This is a, a short, straight dagger used by a Roman soldier. And, and here you gotta have the word of God ready at the ready where you know it and, and you believe it and you attempt to do it and it will transform the way you live. The word of God will transform the way you live. It will have a greater impact on your daily living than you might think at first glance. It will transform your understanding of sanctification and, how, uh, and, and temptation and uh, confession of sin and accountability for your thoughts, words, and actions. The word of God will transform your interactions with other people. The word of God will transform your mercy quotient and your judgment quotient. And, and it will transform your fight against sin and your trust in Christ. I'm gonna give you some homework, okay? Everybody loves homework. School's out, so everybody loves homework. You should read, you should read 1 John all the way through this week in prep for next week. Five chapters, it'll take you less than 16 minutes. It's written to believers, it's about confession of sin, it's about cleansing, it's about comforting Christ, it's, it's awesome. And there's one part about the armor of God that just gets left out all the time. We must not forget, and I think it's because there isn't any kind of like tactile you know, helmet or sword or whatever attached to it. It's prayer, it's prayer. Don't forget prayer. Uh, Ephesians 6, 18 to 20 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and be alert in prayer with all perseverance. 
See, Paul is saying, look, I am captive. I'm not a slave, but I'm a POW being rescued. And I am wretched. I am miserable due to battling sin. But I'm in a constant battle, and I will not give up, and I will not give in. I'm going to put on the armor of God. Just remember this, people. When you, when, you, uh, when you consider all these things, you have to know you're going to lose some skirmishes. You're going to lose some mini battles. But Jesus has won the war. This is what you need to know. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I just want to say that a lot of people give up. Just this week, you know, you hear the news and uh, you hear of people that gave up even through suicide. Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, and others. And you realize that people make that decision and, and people give up in other ways too. They just give up and say, I'm just not going to fight this anymore. But I want you to know that Christians have a hope that doesn't disappoint. I love how Matt Papa sings this song, and he says, this, is, this life is but a vapor. I have but one pursuit. All I want is you, Jesus. I've tasted and I've seen, and there is nothing else for me. All I want is you. That is the cry, that is the desire of our hearts, because God is good, and all praise goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life. There is no other name worthy to be praised, worthy to be remembered. We must put our trust in Christ alone. And Lord, we thank you that we, while we cry to break free, knowing we are captive to sin in our earthly body, knowing we are wretched and miserable and discouraged with our own efforts, we thank you that that's a sign of life. And that if we cannot grasp that, we don't grasp the glory of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that that you cause us to love the gospel of received righteousness. We thank you that even that our hearts cry out, wretched, wretched man that I am. And Lord, I pray that as we get disillusioned by our sin, that we would see you and your hope and freedom and that we would look away from ourselves to what you have done in Christ because through Christ is our victory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.